This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. We're momming today with Laura Morton, a mother and producer of the documentary called Anxious Nation. Laura, welcome. Thank you so much, Lauren. Thanks for having me. Uh, In many ways, this documentary, and I did watch some of it, it's a a tribute, and I'm going to use that word. It's a tribute to your daughter, Sevi, who is now 14 years old, and her her issues with anxiety, uh, was it her whole life, or was it as she approached those teenage years? Honestly, she was showing signs of anxiety when she was very young. I would say three years old was when I first started, you know, thinking something's not right. But her what did you notice at three, Laura? Sorry, what did you notice at three? So you know, she was having a lot of issues with um, bathroom issues, and where she was withholding. And so you know, we went down this trail of. Is it her diet? Is there an allergy? Is there something going on with, you know, her biology? And, you know, it was probably two years of going to specialists between like New York and Boston and trying to figure out what was going on. And, you know, I can't tell you how many doctors kept saying to me, she doesn't have enough fiber in her diet. And which was ridiculous because I knew, you know, what, what, how she was eating and what her diet consisted of. And I'm, you know, a, a certainly aware enough parent, but I knew that wasn't it. Um, and so I started taking her to a therapist and, you know, my daughter didn't really open up so much to the therapist, but whatever was going on inside her head, um, she wasn't articulating. And the way that she was showing her anxiety was by withholding her bowel movements which is very common for young kids. It's very, very common for young kids because that's something they have. Yeah, it is. It's something they have control over, right? I mean, when they're young, we feed them, we bathe them, we do everything. But the thing that they have control over is that. And um, so, you know, it took seriously seven years for me to get a doctor to say, here's the problem. You know, here's what's going on. Uh, and, you know, that was really frustrating as a parent because I, I, you know, I wanted to look at it, you know, let's, okay, let's figure out what it's not, right? It's not her diet. It, there's nothing going on with her digestive tract. It's not an allergy. It's not. So what is it? And, it, you know, ultimately, and having taken her to a lot of, you know, I would have thought good therapists. It wasn't until I took her to a therapist that told me to read the book. Um, the Body Keeps Score, which is such a fantastic book if you haven't read it. And it really is eye-opening when it comes to trauma and, and, and you know, anxiety and, and how our body remembers certain things, even if our mind doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there was a part of me that thought maybe something, I'm a single mom. And there was a part of me that thought, gosh, is there something going on when I'm not home with my domestic help? 
Is there something going on when she's going over to a friend's house? Like, you know, you, you start catastrophizing the worst case scenarios. And, you know, every doctor I took her to said, no, we don't think that's it. Um, but when I read The Body Keeps Score, there was a part of that book that talked about homes where there is domestic help, where there's turnover, a lot of turnover. And I did. I had, um, as a single mom, because I had to work and I had to travel, I had, you know, I had help so that I could do that and provide for for my, my family. And uh, it was really fascinating to me when I read this section of the book that it said, you know, kids feel like when there's a lot of turnover in the house um, with help. Or like, even if you have, you know, let's say you're a single mom and you've had like a slew of, of you know, partners, right? Um, that really impacts the child. And so it was really interesting for me when I read that. I remember circling, it was a Sunday morning and I was laying in bed and I remember circling and going, wow, there's something nobody ever thought about talking to me about. So, so Laura, was that, was that the issue or the most concrete uh, cause of her anxiety or, or, you know, the different caretakers? Maybe so the lack I, of structure at home or, or was it something else? No, there wasn't a lack of structure. It was just there There was, you know, very a, a lot of caretakers. Um, we ultimately did have a nanny that worked for us for like five and a half years. But here's the thing. My daughter was born, I think, inherently born with a genetic predisposition uh, to be anxious. I had my daughter through in vitro with an, an anonymous donor. So there was like a 50% part of her that I didn't know that much about. And so like, I could look at her hands and go, those are my hands. And then I looked at her feet and I would say, those are definitely not my feet. But when it came to anxiety, it just was a, it was something I didn't really recognize. And I think that's so common with parents, right? And especially first time parents, what's normal, what's not normal, what, you know, what's age appropriate. And I just didn't understand it. And so I knew that something was wrong, but I didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't put words to it. So I think that there was a genetic predisposition for her um, that, that was a big piece of the equation, right? Uh, we, in our film, we have an expert, Lynn Lyons, who says, if it's nature, it's you, if it's nurture, it's you. And, <laughs> and I think that's right. And it does get a laugh, right? And, and I think that's true. And I think, you know, raising a child now is a lot different than when I grew up, that's for sure. And, and, you know, I didn't know how to navigate some of the territory. Certainly, you know, as we started getting into the world of here's an iPad, let's go to dinner, here's an iPad, and just keep yourself occupied, right? Oh, yeah, guilty as charged. Yeah, okay. I mean, I, and so, yeah, so there was a lot of territory that I didn't know. I, 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 my daughter, I'm an, it's funny, I'm an Android user, but my daughter inherently came out of the womb knowing how to swipe on an iPhone. And I don't know how that happened, uh, but she they did. All did. And, they all did. Yeah. So Laura, let me just bump back a little bit. So sure. how, did, did Sevi try to find out or did you try to find out who her father was? So that's an interesting story um, because he was anonymous uh, there. And, and that was by design. And uh I, I really just didn't, at the time, I didn't want to have that, you know, that piece of the equation. I, first of all, the reason why I had her as a single mom was because I was 40 and I didn't have anybody in my life that I, that I felt like I wanted to start a family with. And I, uh, I wanted to be a mom. And that was one of 
the most important things on my list of things to do was becoming a mom. And um, so I just went about getting pregnant. I did seven rounds of IVF. Well, as it turns out, that, Sevi, I give seven. you so much credit. You are so brave. Thank wow. you. And on my own, I gave myself those shots. Um, oh. It was a, it was a road, but and actually that's how Sevi in a way got her name because I, initially she was lucky number seven. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and as it turns out, her name is the combination of my, I had two grandmothers, one named Eve, one named Anne. And then my mom was Suzanne. So when I wrote out the word seven, S-E-V-E-N, I looked at it and I'm like, wow, all of their names are in here. So that's how she got her name is Sevian. Um, but anyway, when she was around seven years old, there was their, um, this is so funny. I, I wasn't planning on telling this story, but there was a Facebook page of families who used this particular donor. And it was a closed Facebook page and it was really designed if there were any medical issues or anything going on that we could just talk to each other. And it seemed like ADD and ADHD was pretty common among the kids, but I had my daughter tested and she would, she did not have ADD or ADHD. And um, one day I was in Austin, Texas and with the man that I was dating at the time and uh, my phone starts blowing up that the anonymous donor had made himself known. Mm. And as it turns out, Lauren, I picked well, he happens to be very good looking. Um, <laughs> and when I showed the picture to Mark, he said, I don't think you should reach out to him. And, <laughs> but uh, I did. But you I did, of course. I did. And I had a lot of questions and they were really around my daughter's mental health. It was really around her anxiety. And uh, we ended up meeting and he lived in New York City. I was living in New York City at the time and he was great. And the reason why he made himself known was for this very reason. There, there were a lot of families that had children um, using him as a donor. And he felt like if there were questions that they had as the kids started getting older and there was anything that he could answer, he wanted to be able to answer it. So he was fantastic. Um, he's not really a part of our lives. Sevi knows about him. Um, but uh, he was really helpful in telling me that he suffered from anxiety as a kid and, and how he learned to manage his anxiety through acting and through you know studying various acting methods, which is really appropriate because my daughter, that is, again, something she inherited from Ben, has that acting bug. And so it gave me something to be able to say to her, look, there's a way to take this energy. There's a way to take when you feel that way and harness it and repurpose it. So use it for performance, use it when you're on stage, use it when you're doing something, you know, and that gave us a, a, a really great tool to put in her toolbox. This is so fascinating. I mean, we're about 12 minutes in Laura and we didn't even get to the documentary. So let's take a quick break. <laughs> And sure. we'll do that. We'll talk about the big news. Anxious Nation, when we're momming today, continues right after this. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. We're back on We're Momming today with Laura Morton, a mother and producer of Anxious Nation. Laura, um, so you put your heart and soul, your experiences, and that of many others into this documentary because you, well, why? I'll let you say it. Why? Well, I felt like I was failing my daughter as a parent. I felt oh. like no matter what I was doing and how hard I was trying and all the people that I'd taken to her, I felt like she wasn't getting any better. And I couldn't figure it out. I'm a problem solver. I'm that parent that just wants to solve the problem, right? My friends, I'm, that's, that's the person they call me and go, who should I call? And I always have those answers, but I couldn't seem to do it for my own child. And I was really frustrated and really sad and I thought, man, I, I, you know, I'm completely messing this up. So I put a post on Facebook, one, one line, kids and anxiety, who's dealing with it. And I was really surprised, Lauren, by the response that I got on, online. It was, I am, we are, my daughter is my grandson, whatever. But the private messages that I got told a whole different story. And this was in 2018 that I made this post and, um, you know, that before was a time COVID. Really, it was bad before, before COVID. COVID. Yeah, BC. And, um, you know, this was a time where we weren't talking to our friends about what was going on in our homes. And I really thought what was happening with my daughter was just happening in our home. And then I started to get these messages from friends who said, you know, our child attempted suicide. Our child has really been struggling. We had to, you know, get them intensive care, like things that that from people that I knew, people that I was going to dinner with on a Saturday night, and we never talked about it. And I thought as a storyteller by trade, you know, I'm, I'm an author, that's my day job. And um, as a storyteller by trade, I knew there was something there. And, and curiosity got the best of me because I wanted to understand a couple of things. But, but what I knew for sure was that if, if I was struggling, like I could not imagine how other families were getting through this. And I really wanted to understand why anxiety shows up. You know, were we more anxious or were we just more aware of it? And I wanted to understand what we could do about it. Selfishly, I wanted to know what, you know, what am I doing wrong and how can I make this better? And so I set out on this journey to make the film in 2019. And then along came COVID and poured gasoline all over an already burning inferno. We were already in crisis in this country when I started making this film and our youth was certainly in crisis. And, and where was the average- at this point? When, when you started making the film, so uh, in 2019, how, how was she doing? Was It was a struggle. These, these were really, really tough years. And, uh, and that was why I, I wanted to make this film. And so it really, um, she's the inspiration behind making the film. Uh, I was lacking the tools. You know, it was interesting, Lauren. I kept putting tools in her toolbox, but I forgot to put them in my own. And it was really important for me to do that. And what I learned was how important um, to treat anxiety systemically in the home. Because if you only treat the child, but the parent is still doing things that are making you know, their emotions heightened or, you know, triggering their anxiety, you know, and coming from a place of love, coming from a really good place. But if you don't change that behavior, the child doesn't stand a chance. So it's, yeah. So I had forgotten to put tools in my own toolbox. I was looking at everything through my own lens, you know, my, my more mature, 
adult lens. I felt like she was manipulating me when she wanted to, you know, she would call from the school nurse's office that she needed to come home. And I just thought, oh, she doesn't like school. You know, it never occurred to me that these feelings were legit. And, and they are like what these kids are feeling is very real. And my biggest aha and takeaway from this film, there been, there was a few, but acknowledging that how she feels is how she feels. And I think the other big, big takeaway for me was to take a step back and not put onto my child what I wanted her to be and how I wanted her to act, but to allow her to be who she is and to embrace it across the board. I can guide her as her mom. I certainly want to put the guardrails up, but I didn't want to put on her. I no longer want to put on her, you know, my expectations, right? Um, and it's been really helpful for her, for her anxiety, for our relationship, you know, especially going into these teenage years, which is totally navigating different territory than I did when she was, you know, much younger. And, you know, the things, the thing about anxiety, Lauren, as I'm sure you know, is that it's a shapeshifter. And what made my daughter anxious when she was five and then seven and then 10 and now at 14, it's totally different. How does it, how does anxiety manifest itself in your daughter through all the stages and ages? Like, what are some signs that parents could look out for? Sure. Um, so there's a scene in the movie where we see a little boy, Jonah, who is having these, these like fall down on the floor, temper tantrums really is what I would refer to it as. However, because that's what I thought my daughter was doing. Um, but that, that's his anxiety showing up when it just bubbles up to the point that he just doesn't have any control over it and it becomes crippling. And my daughter would fall to the ground. She would have these moments and it didn't matter. We could have been in Target and she would do it or we could be at home and she would do it or we'd be at a restaurant and she would do it. And it was just, there was so much stimulation coming at her. There was too much noise. There were, my, you know, things. My, my seven-year-old uh, has tantrums. Um, I never thought it could be anxiety. The, it, it, it's usually, um, honestly, when she doesn't get what she wants. Or a small, a little, little thing that sets her off. Always insignificant, very insignificant. I'm trying to think of the latest example. Um, what was it? Oh, I didn't come home with the special drink that she wanted. Right. That was, and it's full on tantrum. She snaps out of it relatively quickly, but sometimes she doesn't. You know, and there's that question, right? What's a tantrum and what's anxiety? But if you take a step back, and you start looking at what are the commonalities when this happens. That's the best way to kind of make that determination, right? And and it took me a while to figure that out too. And so, you know, my question for you is you didn't bring the drink home, but but does it influence you then the next time is like, I better bring her that drink so this, so she doesn't have a meltdown? Yes, I'm guilty as charged. I yes. ask in certain ways to prevent the tantrums from happening. Right. So that's called doing the disorder. And that's also, which we call, we call that in the film. And we also talk about anxiety being a cult leader in our home. Right. So as long as you're doing what the cult leader wants, bringing her the drink. Okay. Everything's fine. Don't bring her the drink and you have a problem. So we do this as parents and, and we do it because we just need to get on with our day. I have to be at work. I have a zoom. I have a call. Yes, go. You know what? You can sleep in my bed because I'm tired and I want to go to sleep. Yep. Right? 100%. Yeah. 
So, you know, this I take is, the path of least resistance at all times. At all times. And yet, you know, we're doing it because it's easy for us. What we're doing is feeding the cult leader. And it's really fascinating when you start to look at it that way. And, you know, my daughter, you asked, like, what else would she do? She, we couldn't go anywhere without, she had to know who was going to be there. How old are they? Do they have brown hair or blonde hair? Like, she needed every last detail because the unknown was so scary for her. Mm. And so there were all sorts of things that started popping up. And I would, and, you know, we would start making plans around whether or not she could do it. Right? If she, if she felt like she couldn't go uh, to a restaurant, we didn't go to that restaurant. If she felt like, you know, she wanted pizza and I wanted Chinese, we were eating pizza. And so, you know, it's, there's a whole dialogue in Anxious Nation where we talk about doing the disorder and, you know, servicing the cult leader that has given us a language in, in our home and, and between my daughter and myself that is a common language. And it really helps us understand it. Now, your seven-year-old might not get it, right? My teenager does. And my teenager calls me out now, you know, seven, he says, mom, you're doing the disorder. Mm. And it's amazing. So it's, it's really amazing when you can start to pay attention to what those triggers are. You know, when your daughter has those moments, you know, just take a moment and like, put it in your phone, like put it in your notes and go, okay, what happened? Why? Like, what was it that triggered this? And you might start to see a pattern um, that goes, okay, I'm bringing this on as a parent or this is, you know, spoiled behavior, or this is, you know, whatever it is, right? But we're so quick to chalk it up to just being a temper tantrum, to just, you know, being spoiled, to just being manipulative, that on average, it takes parents two to eight years to seek help. That's staggering to me. We talk about this in the film. If your kid has a rash, you're putting cortisone on it immediately. And if that mm -hmm. rash doesn't go away, you've got your kid in the pediatrician's office. And if that doesn't work, you're going to the dermatologist. So, so should, should most children be in um, the care of a, of a counselor or a psychologist? I mean, so in my opinion, I think what we need to do is have a mental health professional in every pediatrician's office. Because I don't know that every child needs that, right? Because some children are prone, you know, to be anxious and some children are not. Some kids are super mellow and just, you know, float through life. But I think we need to treat mental health the same as we treat physical health. So when you take your, your kids into the pediatrician and, you know, and it needs to start younger because a lot of them are, are now, you know, talking to teenagers because of the crazy statistics around, um, you know, the, the raise, rising rates of suicide, especially among young girls, right? Um, but I think if we can start a mental health checkup when they're younger, I think we can help them develop so that they're not as anxious, so that, that we understand it, right? What, but what, Laura, what's changed? And I'm going to sound like my parents and grandparents right mm -hmm. now by saying, you know, back in the day, you just went out and played and you didn't worry about all this stuff. And there was no Facebook and there were no phones and, you know, everyone was happy-go-lucky. Um, and I don't know it's, if it's that yearning for a different time that seems so much better, but did we just not have these problems or did we just not talk about them 30 years ago? So- that was the original question, right? Are we more anxious or are we just more aware of it? 
And here's my answer. I think I think we live in a scary world, but I think we've always lived in a scary world. I think growing up in the 60s in the Vietnam era was scary for kids. I think, you know, um, there, there's been all sorts of things that you, you have a generation of kids that watch their parents, you know, through the financial crisis in 2008, you know, to, like they watch their parents lose their home. And now they've grown up and they've become parents. Um, I think the difference is this. I think it's very easy to point the finger at, at our, you know, our devices and at social media. At, but I think that's low, low hanging fruit. I think we are absolutely a more disconnected, lonely and isolated um, community these days. Right. Like I or not a community, but, uh, you know, as as um, citizens of the anxious nation, I think part of the, the biggest issue is that we're very lonely and isolated and disconnected. Is that, is that less religion? Is that a consequence of, of, of losing that, you know, going to that's church? my theory? Right. I do. I think that's my theory. And we actually address that in the film. I think that a lot of kids grew up and became very resentful of their parents' religion, but they still have a, a spiritual desire and they're finding it and filling it in other ways, right? Some kids are doing yoga and meditating and some kids are vaping and doing other things. And, mm. you know, just because they want to numb those feelings. But but I absolutely agree that the, you know, the fastest growing religion in this country is no religion at all. And I think that the falling away of religion has had an impact on our mental health because that is where we connected. We connected our mind, body, and spirit. And we also connected with other people. And I just don't think that that is as prevalent as it used to be. And so I absolutely agree. In fact, there was only one scene in this entire film that Vanessa Roth, who is our Academy Award-winning director of this film, I'm the co-director, that we had long dialogue about. And it's the scene where one of our kids talks about being angry with God and that she didn't feel worthy of his love. And she um, attempted suicide. And her father found her standing on a bridge and because thank God he had her phone in like Life 360 and he found her. And when she um, came off the bridge, she wanted to reconnect with God. She wanted to find her own relationship with God. And it has been a difference maker for her. Now, that doesn't necessarily work for everyone, but it, it certainly is something that worked for her. And there, And that's the point, is that you don't have to go on medication. You don't have to go to therapy, but you have to do something. Right. And this sense of permanence that anxiety defines who we are. If you have a sense of permanence that this is who you are, it's going to be very difficult to see yourself any other way. So the trick is to find something. Listen, Lauren, I say it's it's finding a good therapist is like finding a good pair of jeans. Right. You've got to try on 100 pairs until you find the pair that fits and then you buy them in every color. But, you know, it's really important that you find something that works for you. And. It could be the relationship and connection that you have with your family pet. It could be taking that energy and channeling it into writing music or doing a sport or, you know, and we show a lot of that in, in the film. And, and if you, you know, when, when you were going through the film, you saw the artwork throughout the film. Mm. You know, yes, I did. Actually, beautiful. It's all done by kids between the ages of eight and 26 from all oh, around such the world. A, such a, a good idea, Laura. Oh, I was I was actually trying to put that together. So it gives everybody make the reveal at the end of the film your, your community, Sorry. basically. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that's the kids' community. Exactly, but that art therapy. There's been so many studies that show that it's just incredibly calming, 
And you know, you know, Lauren, I'll tell you, anxiety is is a lot like when your kid is is, you know, your your kid is crying so uncontrollably, and you're saying, you know, stop it. And you know, there's that 20 minute window. Scientifically, there's a 20 minute window where they really can't even hear you. They can't process anything you're saying, right? So every parenting book will tell you, hang back for 20, you know, and and when your kid can kind of come back to you and focus and you can connect, that's when you can redirect, right? And that's a lot with what happens with anxiety. So when when your kid is in a panic, when they're having an anxious moment, and we try to, in that moment, try to, you know, redirect them, um, it's very difficult to do. We have to let them go through it. But what we have to be able to do is teach them that they can learn to manage their anxiety so it doesn't manage them. I feel like I need to call you Dr. Laura Morton. And I also feel like there's so much that we didn't address. And I would I would love to talk to you again at a, at a further date. I don't know if you heard my pencil on my notebook as we were doing this podcast, but I have two full pages of notes. I um, love it, Lauren. Thank you. But, but, I'm not a doctor. I'm a mom. You know, here's the deal. Like, I like I'm just a mom and but I I tell people all the time I feel like I'm on a mission now and you know with all the work that I've done previously and I've done a lot of stuff that's put a lot of good into the world but with all the work I've done previously aside from becoming a parent I've never done anything more important than making this film because I made the film and I know you'll appreciate this my feet they were in two canoes when I was making this film I I knew that if I had made the film that would satisfy Hollywood and I loaded it up with celebrities and certainly that's my world, right? Um, that would have been a big sell to Netflix or Amazon or one of the big streamers, but it wouldn't have been the film that I wanted as a parent. So I went out and I made the film that I thought I would want to watch as a parent. I mean, how many times have you watched something where you go, well, there's two hours I'll never get back <laughs> or you watch it and you go, well, that's great. But now what? Like, I still don't, like, I really appreciate that that person shared their story, but it, ha it had nothing to do with what I'm dealing with in my home. And so I made the film along with my incredibly talented team and, and uh, you know, that I thought parents would want and need. I, I think it's so important that they feel seen and heard and that they know this isn't just happening to them. And that's why I made that film. Listen ad-free with the Fox News Podcasts Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music app or just hit the follow button on your favorite podcast player. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Laura. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.